went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. He was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphasus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the, ta at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Okay. There we go. Right, Desmond? Here we go. All right. Well, um, Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. You know, history is going to remember, I believe, both of these men tonight. History is going to remember Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. But they're going to get just this little bit of memory in human history. Because throughout all human history, we have one person who is the famous one. It's not the one who's going to win the Super Bowl tonight. It's the one who came down and by his grace invited us to his banquet table. Today we look at Jesus inviting sinners to his banquet table. He reclines at the table with sinners like you and me. Do you know that there is no one in this world that sees you in the same way God sees you? Nobody. Nobody in this world sees you for who he's made you to be. Ephesians 2, 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that which he has prepared in advance that we have been called, listen, according to his purpose from before the world began. Nobody sees you the way he sees you. I think we lose that. It's grace when we can see that. He shows us that he sees us differently than the rest of the world. We certainly see that here in the story, the narrative of what Jesus did when he called Levi, the tax collector, to himself. James Edwards is a commentary author. He wrote, Jesus calls people to follow him who stand on the fringes of religious respectability or outside of it. Jesus calls people to follow him who stand on the fringes or on the outside. He's not calling the insiders. He's not calling those who have some kind of special formula. He's calling those who stand on the gaps. And he's calling them to himself. When Jesus called his 12 disciples, he wasn't concerned about what the religious authorities thought about who he called. In fact, he went into the Sea of Galilee on the shores of the banks of Galilee and he called to Peter and James and John and Andrew and he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And Mark says, immediately they followed him. These weren't people who were in the know at that time. They weren't people that were uh, highly respected members of the temple. They were on the fringes. Now, if the disciples 
who were fishermen were on the fringes, certainly Levi is an outsider. We're going to see this a little bit later. Today, our big idea is that Jesus makes friends with the worst of sinners, including you and me. Can't forget that last part, including you and me. Jesus makes friends with the worst in sinners of which I am included. Daniel Aiken asked this question. He says, are you a friend of sinners? Do you stand, do you spend time with persons who don't know Christ, whose lives may be offensive to you and whose reputation among good people like us is an embarrassment or even a scandal? Do you love sinners, care for sinners, serve sinners? Are you, am I a friend of sinners? Are you, am I like Jesus? A couple weeks ago, I read a news story of a Taco Bell employee who, because of the pandemic, had to leave her former job, which was uh, in the adult entertainment industry. And she got a job at Taco Bell. She believed that this was a safer option during the pandemic. Now, it was in the small town of Arkansas, and word traveled very quickly. A woman goes through the drive through and rather than ordering a chalupa, she asks for the manager. And she says to the manager that she would prefer not to give this establishment any of her business nor encourage anyone else to give them their business while this person is working there. Not long after that formal complaint was lodged, the young woman got a call from her manager. The manager said that having her work there was bad for business and the God-fearing Christian who had a complaint was right it was not good for her to be there. And so she was subsequently fired. She said this after remarking of what took place. She said, this woman used religion and Christianity to push adult work like I was Satan in a drive through window. You know, it's funny the things that we think are unattractive to this world. It's funny the things that we think that can cause problems in our lives. And so many things we think of this world can contaminate us. And I think if we simply ask the question, what would Jesus do? I don't know if he would have lodged a formal complaint in the drive through window at Taco Bell with this woman. What would Jesus do? Jesus here is showing us that he's a friend of sinners. Jesus here is showing us that he absolutely transforms not just our morals, which is what the Pharisees and scribes were interested in, a transformation of our morality. What Jesus shows us is that he's interested in transforming the human heart. Today we're going to talk through three uns. I'm going to give them to you right now. We, We see that Jesus calls the unlikely. Jesus has fellowship, or he eats with the undesirable, and then Jesus heals the unhealthy. Let's start with the unlikely at verses 13 and 14. Verse 13. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now Jesus is, is 
building a, a solid uh, base of people who are supporting him in Capernaum. Like the fame of Jesus is spreading like wildfire. Everywhere Jesus goes, he's attracting a crowd. And while Jesus is walking from one place to another, a crowd is following him. And while they're following him, Jesus is, is walking and he's teaching. And people are learning and, and people are hearing the word of God spoken from the mouth of Jesus Christ. And while Jesus is walking uh, through the thoroughfare of Capernaum, he, he sees a, a man at, at a tax booth. And he looks at him in the eye and he says to this man named Levi, follow me. Now, this was an unlikely candidate for Jesus to call to follow him because as I said earlier, Levi stood outside of religious respectability. Levi stood outside of the, the, the social norms of Jerusalem. In fact, Levi would have been considered a social pariah who sold himself out to sin, selfishness, and his God was money. No socially respected Jew would even have a conversation with Levi, let alone a rabbi calling him to follow after him. But what we see here is that Jesus calls the unlikely. When I say Jesus calls the unlikely, I want you to understand a little bit about what it would have been like to, 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 to be a Roman tax collector. Levi wasn't Roman. Levi was Jewish. Part of the reason why Rome's needed a Jew to collect taxes from Jews is because they knew the ins and outs of who they were collecting taxes from. And so they were considered turncoats because Roman was, Rome was an occupying force. Rome was not supposed to be there. Rome, seeing the Roman soldiers and having a, a, a tax system over Jerusalem went against the authority of God, they believed, that they were supposed to govern and rule over Israel rather than Rome. But the tax system and the Roman cohorts that were there to enforce it was symbolism of oppression. And Levi would have been symbolic towards them being oppressed. Levi, becoming a tax collector, would have had to forsake his Jewish heritage. His parents, in all likelihood, Alphaeus, his dad, probably disowned him. When Jesus called Levi, it was perhaps the first time as long as he could remember that someone didn't treat him like a piece of dirt. He was highly unlikely to be a candidate of the grace of God. 1 Timothy verses 1, 15, and 16 says, the, trustworthy, the, the, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. This is written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul would have been considered at one point to be within the realm of religious respectability. Except within Christianity as Jesus Christ and, and his followers were growing. Paul was the one who sought to, to, to throw water on the fire by imprisoning Christians harming Christians, persecuting Christians. In fact, it was Paul who stood by 
the death of the first martyr Stephen while he held the coats of those who stoned him. Paul, Saul of Tarsus, becoming Paul the Apostle, with his mouth can say, this is a trustworthy saying deserving full acceptance that I am the foremost of sinners. It's important that we recognize that that before we look at all the unlikely candidates of a God's grace, that the one sitting in the place that you're in right now is the most unlikely of God, candidate of God's grace. You. Me. That God would call us to something so precious here today. To gather among his family, his church, among his people. To sing and exalt of his goodness and his grace and his glory that we sinners like us deserving condemnation deserving God's righteous wrath can sing of God's grace we are the unlikely and God's grace calls us to follow him over and over and over again Matthew's name, well, Levi was later named Matthew, like Peter. Jesus gave him a name after he became a follower of him. Matthew's name means gift of God. Matthew was not in and of himself a gift of God, but he would become a gift of God because Jesus would make him a gift of God. And the same Levi who was at the tax collector's booth one day making sure he wrote down with great detail and accuracy the money that he collected and kept a portion for himself would be the man that one day would pin the gospel of Matthew where he says to sinners, to those who follow him, surely I am with you always to the very end of age. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That Levi would become Matthew, and Matthew would give us the gift of God in the gospel, perhaps the most detailed account of the teachings of Jesus. Second thing we see here is that Jesus eats with the undesirable. Uh, if you look at verse 15, and he reclined at the table in the house. Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. One of the things I really appreciate about this account is it doesn't give us very much room to see that um, Jesus was not just a haphazard add-on to this party, but Jesus was the centerpiece of the party. (laughs) Jesus was perhaps even the host of the party. He was certainly the honored guest. And, And so Levi invites this man who just called him to follow after him. And he says, come to my house. And he invites a a house filled with with tax collectors and sinners. Now, sinners was kind of a catch-all term for those whom the Pharisees considered evil. And who who are the Pharisees considered evil? Well, it was all those who did not follow the Torah, the law of God, the 613 commandments. Now, it wasn't just 10 commandments that they were concerned with. You have to add the other 603 that were in the Old Testament. And they were concerned with these laws down to the minute detail. Pharisees would not eat in a kitchen that did not tithe from their spice rack. 
because they didn't want to get contaminated by the wickedness that existed in that kitchen. And Sarah, there are a lot of social pariahs that were on the outside that now Jesus finds himself right in the middle of. And it says that he's reclining with them. It's not that he's just having a a nice calm meal, but that he's feasting with them. This is a full-on party. And he's getting to know these people. He's doing life with these people. I don't know who was there that followed him, but it says that many followed after him. You can imagine that the likes of maybe some of the 120 who later started the church in Acts were there. They were there with Jesus as he ate with these people who were undesirable. These people who lacked a good standing in society. Pharisees, by the way, were, were those who uh, were, were considered themselves set apart. In fact, the name Pharisee comes from uh, the word set apart. And when Pharisees were set apart, they, they literally were set apart from all that was unholy and ungodly according to their religion. One of the things Jesus does when he has feast with sinners and tax collectors is he breaks the barriers and he starts building bridges. Rather than the barriers that existed related to the ceremonial law and the dietary restrictions, interesting thing about it is Jesus says, I come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. What Jesus was doing when he was eating with sinners and tax collectors was he was fulfilling the law of God in their midst. Meaning that the cleanliness laws, the things that had been used to to show that Israel was to be set apart, were now not necessary because Israel would not be needed to to known as, as being set apart by their dietary restrictions, but by the person and work of God to bring Israel back to him. And that's what he was doing. He's bringing Israel back to him. And rather than starting from the inside, he started from the outside. He called the people who Taco Bell didn't want to hire. And he said, come on in and let's have a meal together. And it says that they followed him. Tim Chester, he says, he's the friend of riffraff, traitors, the unrespectable, drunks, druggies, prostitutes, the mentally ill, the broken, and the needy, peoples whose lives are a mess. Now, I don't know if you see yourself in one of those names that I just listed, but I hope that last catch-all, people whose lives are a mess, we all can say, man, I can identify with that. Because maybe you came here today and you think, man, my life is a mess. My life is a mess. You struggle with, with feelings of, of shame. Don't, don't know what's uh, up with the mic there. I think probably um, got some facial hair that I didn't take care of too well this morning. Um, maybe you feel like you're a social pariah, like, like Levi, that you don't belong, that you know coming to the church is a place where, where you don't belong because you're not like everyone else there. Let me tell you something, friends. I, I know almost everybody in the building right now, and I've got dirt on everybody here, all right? I've got dirt on everybody, and they've got dirt on me. And the thing that makes us desirable to God isn't the things that make us desirable to this world. 
The things that make us desirable to God is our neediness. It's our brokenness. It's our misery. It's our grief. The things that cause God to come down and compel Jesus Christ to leave the throne of heaven wasn't the things that this world considers accolades or applause, but it's the things that says that we're broken, we're a mess, and that we're in need of a Savior. And that's what Jesus did when when he says, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, because the basis of table fellowship for the Pharisees was morality. The basis of table fellowship for Jesus was Jesus. He is the basis by which we are able to fellowship and dine with one another without having to check one another's spice racks. He is the basis of our fellowship because he's forgiven us and he's made us clean by his blood and he has washed us clean and everything that's undesirable about us, he has cleansed and he's made us holy and precious in God's sight. Because if you could follow the, the, the way of the world for desirability and you, get, you find yourself so further from God because you're trying to keep up with your next door neighbor. You're trying to keep up with the social media accounts that you follow and think that somehow you have to go through these, these 2021 purification rites to make yourself righteous before the world so that you don't feel the overwhelming sense of shame and condemnation that comes over you. But Jesus says, you don't have to play those games. Your desirability is not in your desirability. Your desirability is in Christ's atoning work. And that's it. What Jesus does when he calls the undesirable is he's making a statement. These are the people. These are my people. These are my people. These are the people I came to die for. The third point we see is that Jesus heals the unhealthy. Verses 16 and 17, And the scribes and Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to the disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Jesus heals the unhealthy. This week um, was one of the most painful weeks of my life. I had a, a kidney stone. I still have it, by the way. Like, that thing's got to get out of me somehow. Um, I'm not in pain right now. Uh, I've, I've had enough drugs for us all here, so I can understand um, when Jesus calls. <laughs> um, but uh, I went, since Monday night, it was like 11 p.m. I mean, I went to bed just fine on Monday. It was a great day on Monday. Monday night, 11 p.m., I'm waking up, and I've got, like, pain in my lower back, pain in my groin, and it's just shooting down. And I just want to cry. Like, typically, like, I I can kind of manhandle pain. I was not manhandling this pain. I was a little baby girl on Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. Well, you get the point. Um, And it was so, so painful. And on, on Tuesday morning, I thought, I'm just, you know, uh, so all Monday night, I'm, I'm on my phone and I'm Googling my symptoms. Um, that's dangerous. But actually, I found three places confirmed. WebMD, Healthline, and the Mayo Clinic said, based upon my symptoms, that this was a kidney stone. In fact, 
And they were right. They were right, by the way. Went to the doctor, Guidewell, uh, emergency doctors that morning on Monday. My wife, I had to call her to pick me up. She had to leave uh, her job and she had to take me in the van because I was like dealing with pain and it was so bad it was causing me to vomit. I mean, it was really, really rough morning on Monday. Now, when I got to Guidewell and, and um, they, they asked me what my problem was and I said, well, I'm sick. I got a kidney stone. And they said, whoa, whoa, no, we don't do that here. It's funny, um, when my kids realized I had a kidney stone, my daughter Lily says, is it contagious? <laughs> Listen, kidney stones is not, is not corona, all right? It's not contagious. Um, and, uh, and when I got there, they, they said, well, come on in. And they had the room, and they gave me just magical drugs. Um, and I felt better almost immediately. Uh, it felt so good that I thought that, you know, the problem was solved, but a couple hours later problem was back again. And I realized that I was still sick. But you know, if Jesus, if Jesus didn't see sinners and tax collectors, Jesus would have been like a doctor that didn't see sick patients. Because this is the reason why he came. He came to see sinners and tax collectors. He came to see people like you and me, people who are unhealthy and in need of a doctor. Now, our health ailment isn't a kidney stone or the coronavirus or the stomach bug or cancer. Those things might be problems that we face. Those things are things that we're going to have to deal with. But our greatest ailment that we need Jesus for is sin. And so the reason why Jesus was chiefly around sinners is because Jesus healed sinners. There's only three types of patients Jesus cannot heal. Number one are those who don't know about Jesus. That's a patient Jesus can't heal. Someone who doesn't know about him is someone that Jesus can't heal. The doctor can't heal. Number two, the another type of patient that Jesus can't heal are those who know about him, but they refuse his treatment. There are many people who know about a doctor. They know they're sick, but they refuse the treatment. We don't really understand why, but we are stubborn and prideful, and we can refuse the treatment of the good doctor. And the third is those who acknowledge Jesus, but don't want anything to do with him. That's like the Pharisees. You know, the Pharisees acknowledged God, but they thought that they could gain God by their morality. That's religion. Religion believes that somehow we can achieve godlikeness through what we do. We can make ourselves better. Now, this kidney stone, I was not going to get anywhere unless I saw a doctor the other day. I promise you that. It was so bad. We are in need of healing. We are in need of the good doctor. Daniel Aiken says, You must see yourself as lost before you can be saved. You must know that you're spiritually sick before you can be healed. You must know that you are spiritually dead in sin before you can be made alive by the Savior. You know that. This is the only world religion that says we don't have to earn our way to God, but God's come down to us. He's made himself low. 
so that we can be healed. I want to give us some application uh, from this passage. The first point of application is that a zeal for holiness leads us closer to people who need God, not further away from them. Maybe um, you have a zeal for holiness, and one of the good litmus tests that we can apply a zeal for holiness for is, is our zeal for holiness leading us closer to people who are further from God or away from them? Because the Pharisees didn't have that right. And this was, this was a rebuke to the Pharisees where Jesus is essentially saying to those who think they have the answers, then why isn't it doing anything to people who are far from God? Are our lives being, being used for, for those who don't know Christ? If we are genuinely wanting to grow in our affections and love for God, then it doesn't lead us further from people who need him, but it leads us closer to people who need them. Second point of application is care is greater than criticism. Care is greater than criticism. Now, I'm not saying criticism is unnecessary. Criticism is important. Um, In fact, many would say that what Jesus does when he brings correction to our lives is to criticize our lives, but he doesn't do that without coming into our lives. Jesus doesn't stand from the outside and condemn. Jesus gets inside and brings about transformation. Criticism is one that throws rocks from the outside versus going in and bringing healing. It's the story of Jesus with the woman who's caught in adultery where the Pharisees and and, and those who were there said, said to Jesus, what is this woman deserving? And Jesus says to the Pharisees, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And Jesus gets into her life and heart. He cares for her rather than condemning her. The second, the, the third point of application that we should ask is, are we like the Pharisees? Kent Hughes says, we come to Christ and in our desire to be godly, we seek out people like us. Ultimately, we arrange our lives so that we are, uh, so that we are with non-believers as little as possible. We attend Bible studies that are 100% Christian, a Sunday school that is 100% Christian, prayer meetings that are 100% Christian. We play tennis with Christians, eat dinner with Christians. We have Christian doctors, Christian dentists, Christian plumbers, Christian veterinarians, and even our dogs are Christian. I led my dog through the sinner's prayer last week. <laughs> the result is that we pass by hundreds without ever noticing them or positively influencing them for Christ. None of us are Pharisees philosophically, but we may be practically. Are you a practical Pharisee? How do you know? Well, one indication is how close are you to those who are far from God? That we would get close. As we reflect on this and as I close I want us to know that this is a story of scandalous grace. Interesting thing about what we witnessed with Levi being called to follow after Jesus was that the only thing that was required of Levi to follow after Jesus was Jesus' call and his obedience to that call. That was it. Jesus called, Levi followed after him. That's scandalous grace. 
This is what the Pharisees couldn't understand because the Pharisees, in order to make it in their world, they would have handed you a list of 613 laws and said, start at one, let me know when you get down to 613, and maybe we'll have a meal together. What Jesus did is he goes straight into the meal together. How could he do that? How could one who claims to be God get near the filth and scum of sin? How could it happen? Well, because Jesus is the good doctor. Because Jesus, like the good doctor, scrubs up, up to his elbows, and he gets down into the mess of our lives. You'll remember that when Jesus touched the leper, the leper's ailment didn't infect Jesus, but Jesus' purity cleansed the leper. In the same way, when Jesus touched Matthew, when Jesus called Matthew, when Jesus dined with the sinners and tax collectors, it was his purity that was imparted to them. Why was that? It wasn't because of what he was doing in the moment, but it was what Jesus would do ultimately for their forgiveness. It's that Jesus would go all the way for their sin, for the punishment that they deserved. This is the scandal of grace is that we don't have to do anything to earn it. There's nothing that we could do in and of ourselves, in and of our own strength to bring anything to the table before a holy God. But God gives us everything. And the reason why we see Jesus calling Levi and simply saying, follow after him is because Jesus would die for Levi. Because Jesus would die for you and me. I kind of had a funny thought the other day. I was thinking, I I wonder if Jesus ever had a kidney stone. (laughs) I mean, you know, only one out of ten people. I know all the statistics, by the way. Only one out of ten people in the world get a kidney stone. So maybe Jesus had a kidney stone. But the statistics might have not been the same back then. You know, there's a 50% chance that I could get another kidney stone in the next ten years. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Ain't doing that. But I wonder if Jesus ever went to a, through a pain like that, you know? He didn't. He may not have went through a pain like that. In all likelihood, Jesus didn't have a kidney stone. But Jesus took his place among the sinners. Jesus' hands were nailed to the cross. The scandal of grace is that Jesus' blood flowed out of his body. That he drank the dregs of the cup of God's wrath all the way down. The scandal of grace is that it was Christ's righteousness and not Levi's righteousness that allowed him to follow after him. And the reason why Jesus can make the simple call to follow after me is because he died for you. And that's a scandalous grace and a grace that this world will know nothing of outside of what Christ has done. So Jesus calls us friends today. And today, if you find yourself as the worst of sinners, cheer up. Cheer up. He died for you. And his grace is given to you today. This is the scandal of grace, the glorious grace of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the grace that you've given us in Christ Jesus. 
that we can walk, God, according to your ways, your will, because of what you've done. That like Levi, God, we are on the outskirts of respected religiosity. Or maybe, Lord, we're on the inside. Maybe we think we're on the inside, Lord. But today you've shown us that, God, we're so far from God that we need a Savior. Lord, I pray that you would help us walk in that, live in that. And that, God, help us be friends of sinners, people who are far from you. Like Matthew wrote in his gospel from your commission, we would go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, knowing that, God, surely you are with us always to the very end of age. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today again, God invites us to dine with him. And the basis of that fellowship is his broken body and shed blood. For those who trust in Jesus as Savior, their forgiver, their leader, their Lord, you can walk down the aisle, you can grab one of those plastic communion cups with cardboard wafers. <laughs> but you could remember in that time as you eat of that bread and you drink of that cup, that the Lord has been faithful to you. And the Lord has been faithful to you by becoming sin for you so that he could be your healing. And receive that cup and that bread with glad and generous hearts as the beloved family of God. When you're ready, you may come and take the elements.